Hey, this is Sam from Brain Tools, and this is the shortcut version of our Brain Tools podcast, where you get just the Brain Tools, all four of them, uh, nothing else. It's short, practical, and sweet, and I hope you like it. And welcome to the Brain Tools section, where you're going to get four practical Brain Tools to help you become more resilient in the workplace, better respond to stress, and improve your overall resilience over time. But before we get into brain tools, it's always important to have a bit of context. We love, again, we just, it's our opening line. We just love context. <laughs> and so, Sam, I'm going to give you two points here before we get into uh, what are going to hopefully be some very useful brain tools in the workplace when it comes to resilience. I think the first one, and this possibly requires a fair bit of self-awareness, but you want to be really mindful if your job is just having a net negative on your well-being. Right? There's no point yep. trying to grind through something if there's literally no joy, no satisfaction. And again, we always talk about pleasure and purpose and that being a really important factors in happiness. If there's none of that, I think you've probably got to go. Right? There's no point continuing to push through a ship that has already sunk. Um, that's my first one. Is that fair? This is a very valid point. <laughs> like, If you're burning out at work because of the work, maybe evaluate what's going on. Absolutely. And that's where we need to you know, get your PFC involved, need to do a real assessment of it. But I think the, the second part for all these tools that we're about to go through is it's simply all about probability, right? Which is how do you increase the chances that you, your colleagues, your company will be able to grind through and bounce back and actually go through the stress. And these tools are all about A, creating that environment, but B, actually helping individuals like yourself listening to this that can do so. And that's, uh, those are my two points for context before we crack in. Mm, and really, really valuable points. And the last point I would add for context is if you are overloaded and overworked and over capacity, no matter how many resilience tools you use, that's <laughs> not going to change your workload and situation. So that's always a conversation that's worth having. And that one goes out to managers and leaders too. Uh, you can give your workers as many yoga sessions as you want, but if you're asking them to work 18 hours a day, they're still going to be pretty stressed. So, oh, yeah, the, the great old yoga. There. Let's do some Bikram yoga and that'll yeah. decrease my stress. <laughs> Just don't watch his uh, Netflix because you won't want to do Bikram after that. But speaking <laughs> of non-Bikram related topics, uh, leading into brain tool number one, which is write down what you can control. So I want to give you a tool that helps you bounce back faster, respond to stress, and reduce your stress response when something does go wrong at work because it will go wrong at work. And this tool helps you feel in control again. All you have to do is when you have one of these experiences or periods at work that are really, really challenging and you're feeling overwhelmed or stressed and your amygdala and stress response and HBA is just hyperactive, sit down and write out by hand what you can still do and what you can control. And the reason for doing this is because in doing so, you're activating that internal locus of control, like we said, which mitigates the stress response. And because research shows that this sense of control is inversely related to the sense of stress we feel, by writing down what you can control and reminding yourself, you're actually taking back control in that situation. I love that, mate. I think that that is like a real sort of uh, owed to journaling in a way, right? Because mm, all this yeah. stuff in your head and it can be really vague and large in your head, but when you put it down on paper, A, you're actually taking control, as you said, by doing a physical action, but then you start to see it in smaller writing. So I think that is a really important point. Can you explain then how do you go about using this? Yeah, I, that's a, it's a really good question because you've, it's great listening to these tools, but like we said, 
uh, in former episodes, you've actually got to apply them. So this tool is really, really simple, but it's when you are having those moments of overwhelm, we think the world's going against you. Maybe you've lost a client or you've lost a sale or you've got too much work going on. You feel like you're never going to get done or, or there's a customer who's been terrible to you. Take out a pen, get a sticky note and write down the things that you can still do that you can control. So for example, you could say, okay, well, a client's been terrible to me, but I can get them this email and I can finish off that piece of work and send it up to them. And then I can go to the gym tonight. Or if you're in another situation, maybe you say, okay, um, I'm struggling with my manager right now. The things I can do is I can talk to HR. I can talk to my team. I can do this. And the more you start to use this tool, the more you experience that positive self-directed neuroplasticity because you'll be teaching your brain to adapt and respond to these stressful situations in a way that focuses on what you can do on that sense of control. And therefore, you're actually building in resilience into your behavioral response. Um, And we know this is validated by lots of the science because obviously we've got some of the work from George Banana and Gravesi who who looked at kids versus adversity and their internal locus of control and the, the stress study I mentioned just earlier. I love that so much because as you said, I'm I'm actually going to rename you. You're no longer Sam. You are, mate, you're Sam Aristotle. That's literally what I'm going for now. Like (laughs) Seneca and Sam. (laughs) I love it. But I think this, it's such a simple and small thing you can do in the moment, particularly, right? Uh, Because you're experiencing that visceral stress because everyone's spoken to a bad customer, like I won't call it bad, an angry customer before and you feel terrible. Like you feel like you own the issue and that you're the problem. And so directing as you said to, hey, what can I control in this situation? What can I do? And then move forward to that, I think is an awesome one of being more resilient in the workplace. Absolutely. And it's really focusing on what you can control and what you can do in that moment, which we know also, you know, activates more of the prefrontal cortex and shifts that processing away from amygdala and the stress response. I love it. So, so good. And it beelines beautifully, if I must say, into brain tool number two, which is spin your social web. Ooh. Ooh, <laughs> Spidey. Yeah, weird names today. There's, there's more coming here, just weird names. But I think, um, Sam, with this one, I think when people, and please feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but when people experience high stress, they have a tendency mm. to isolate themselves from work, colleagues, and friends. And that's why there's a correlation between burnout and high absenteeism or high sick leave. Do you think that's a fair fair point? Well, I absolutely think it is. And I think it's possible because of association and our uh, avoidance response to aversive stimuli. Mm-hmm. So we want to move away from the things that we associate causing us pain. And that might be co-workers at work. That's such a good point. And like that, that whole idea when you do this, right, is you isolate yourself, but then the stress negatively compounds and there's no way to get out. People get trapped in their own head. And essentially, you become a fly in a web that you didn't know you actually created, but you're still trapped. And so the solution that we hopefully can give here is, as we said, to spin your social web. You want to be like a spider. You want to be the owner of the web. And that way you can catch yourself even if you fall. And that's why a spider web is really strong when there's multiple connections at different points. And that is so, so important when it comes to social connectivity. And that's where I've got so far. I love that. That's It makes so much sense. And that thinking of it as a, as a web, a pr- like a supportive web, is brilliant because it can kind of help you visualize how necessary all those connections are. There is interesting proof around this as well. And I've got two sort of studies for you. Jackson and Al in 2007 actually found that having contact with colleagues outside of the immediate work setting was vital in improving resilience. And I find that a really interesting Hmm. one. It's not just in the workplace, it's outside the workplace. So you obviously have that social connectivity there. 
But then interestingly, in Australia, 2010, Journal of Community Psychology, Rural Australian Communities, where they basically found that those that rebound from extreme adversity into 12 specific attributes. And lo and behold, the number one one was called robustness. And the number one thing about robustness was your social network. How robust is your social network? And I sat there and I was like, all right, that's all the proof that I need. (laughs) Close the case. Case dismiss. (laughs) Judge, we've seen enough. Um, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, especially when you think of it in in reference to social connection and what we know about the neuroprotective properties of that, how it activates the serotonin systems uh, and various uh, oxytocin systems and et cetera in the body. So taking this into account, how do you use this concept of social web? How do you actually implement it? So Samuel, great question. I'm going to layer this slightly into three different components because I feel like you can use this social part in three different lenses, which is individuals, managers or leaders, and companies. So I'll first start with individuals. I think the first question to ask yourself, if you are an individual at work, how many people are you friends with at work? How many people would you actually say I'm actually a mate with? And if none, Mm. as per your point, Sam, on actually taking control, schedule one lunch with a colleague you don't know. Now, I know that's a hard one to do, but then you'll find that you'll actually be creating a web there. If you're a manager, right? As per the point we said before, have your one-on-ones outside of the office. Go for a coffee. Spontaneous outings always lead, generally, to the greatest connections. And it's that change of environment that leads to a change in attitudes by both people, which means you're more likely to connect on a more intimate level, and you might actually find that a bunch of stuff pops up that you didn't realize otherwise. Um, I think that is also, and I would love your thoughts on this, is that it also solves information flow. Like one of the worst things for, for people and employees is like, hey, I don't actually know what I need to do. I'm not aware of stuff. And that can actually help massively. So individuals and managers to start with. Yeah. And I love that you use the distinction between having that meeting inside the workplace physically and changing the environment because it totally changes the context and then therefore the way you relate to each other. But yeah, and solves that information flow problem as well. 100%. And the last one from a company perspective is, again, I'm always mindful of organized fun and really, really structured fun. However, all I will say is ritualize a space for individuals to meet, right? And I think that could be, you know, mm. if people do drinks on a Friday afternoon or whatever it might be. But as long as that part is sacred and it's actually, quote unquote, a part of work, I think that's going to be really important. So the idea here is to spin a web. The stronger your web, the more connections. And on those three different levels, hopefully, that means that as an individual, as an employee, and also as an employer, you're able to um, facilitate that social connection and cohesion. Mm, which will then lead to increased resilience down the line. So it's, it's really about building out your social connections at work, also outside of the workplace with those same people, because then they f- form this support web that helps you be more uh, resilient in certain situations. 100%. You've absolutely nailed nailed it. And that is brain tool number two, which is spin your social web. Mm, Love that brain tool. I I know I actually did a post a a while back on LinkedIn talking about the same thing where one of the best things you can do to improve your mental health um, related was just to reach out to a whole bunch of friends. So So true, man. So so easy to do. Uh, Leads into brain tool number three. And this is... As opposed to looking at it from a social web perspective, we're looking at it from more a skill perspective. So this tool is going to help you respond to stressful situations by learning a new thought pattern. We talked about behavior before with control, but this is about a thought pattern. And it helps you feel uh, a lot more optimistic and again, helps with that sense of control. When you have a tough time at work, when you're experiencing something that's stressful or traumatic, reframe the situation in your brain as something that will benefit you or help you grow or help you change. So for example, you could ask yourself, how is this going to help me grow? 
Why? Yeah. Be- well, because we know that when you change the way you think about a potentially emotionally uh, listening stimuli or an event, you actually change how your brain and therefore your body responds. So you're building resilience in by changing and flipping that script and that frame, which helps you change your brain in the moment. And then over time, the more you do this, you experience myelination, you wire this pathway into your brain. And suddenly next thing you know, you've been doing it for two, three years, your de facto response to a situation is, what can I learn from this? How can I grow from this? And suddenly you've become a much more resilient person. You've just motivated me. Are you Tony Robbins? <laughs> that is so uh, no, good but I, I'm with you. I, I do do uh, motivational speaking by the hour. If you want to hit me up, <laughs> no, but <laughs> we love a bit of Tony. He does bend uh, the science somewhat and some of the psychology every now and then. And this this really lines up with the work we know from from um, George Bonanno in the clinical psychologist at Columbia uh, University's Teachers College who studied all these students and try to analyze what were the key elements of resilience. And it was that he found the way they perceived stressful events or stressful periods and the way they conceptualize those in their brain um, and express those were what defined their ability to be resilient. That is awesome, mate. I love that so much. I think that, you know, we talk about, you know, cognitive reframing really important, but there's so much research that goes into, you know, rational optimists, so to speak, that are able to be more resilient because they're able to have that reframe in that moment, positively gear it, so to speak, to have that opportunity as opposed to the problem or the threat. So I really like that. My question, as always, we ask here, how do I use this? All right. Well, I'd love to give people a really simple way to implement this because I think the idea of cognitive reframing can be quite daunting. People are like, oh, I don't know how to apply that. So really simply, next time you're feeling the squeeze or every time you feel under a stressful period at work or an event that challenges you, it's somewhat traumatic and stressful, flip the script and just ask yourself this question. What can I learn from this? Bonus points if you write it down. But if every time you're asking, what can I learn from this? You are forcing yourself to look at that silver lining and flipping your perception of the event from stressful to growth. Um, and this is like from a scientific perspective, there is a ton, a metric ton of research out there on cognitive reappraisal and reframing, which is what we're talking about. Dozens of studies. Um, and we know that over time, they actually alter the, the neuronal pathways in your brain between the prefrontal cortex and the reward um, system and circuitry, um, and also reduce, uh, you know, the activation of your amygdala and HPA and et cetera. So that's brain tool number three, which is flip the script, learn to reframe stressful situations, uh, to become more resilient by asking yourself, what can I learn from this and focusing on that? Mate, that's so, so, so strong. Cause I just had the thought there on, on that ilk of like to help people do that. If you are a manager, if you are a leader, asking that question first as well, which is like, what can we learn from this? Or what can I learn from what we've done here? And making that concession potentially could help make it easier for every single person within the organization to ask that same question as well. Um, But just a thought. That's a great frame actually. And probably not a bad one for for people who do have a team. When you're going through a really stressful period, put that out in your Slack or your, your team meetings. Like, What can we learn from this? You're helping people change their brains. I love it. And that beeline is very nicely to the final brain tool, which is brain tool number four, break burnout. Ooh, okay. Well, you've, my ears are perked up. Got this cochlear <laughs> attention right here. 
Well, what I mean by that is because you have made such a great point about cognitive reappraisal and about making sure we're actually in our control. It is so, so, so difficult to do anything that requires conscious thought when we are in our own heads, right? When we're experiencing so much stress and it's normally because we've been burnt out. It's akin to sleep deprivation, right? As we spoke about on episode one of the inaugural, the first episode of the Brain Tools podcast, people, when they are sleep deprived, they actually don't know that they're sleep deprived. They've got no idea, but everyone outside looking in is like, hey, you need sleep ASAP. And I think the whole idea here, we've got to prevent burnout in the first place. Benjamin Franklin says, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And so what's really important is to make sure we're taking macro and micro breaks on a monthly, weekly, and daily basis. And Sam, I've got a little bit of proof to back this up. Well, we do like to validate what we're saying with some real credibility. So hit me with your proof. What do you got? So this this study, I was just like, it confirmed. Again, I'm always mindful of confirmation bias, but it was so interesting. They did a study, and this was in 2020, so it was last year, of 2,000 office workers and talk, basically mm-hmm. talked through that said they needed to take annual leave every 43 days, and it was vital to stave off burnout. Every time that they looked at people that were outside this bracket that didn't take leave in that period of time, they would actually be more susceptible to burnout and obviously have those mental health issues as well. And I sort of sat there and be like, that makes so much sense, but we don't seem to value that leave and we don't seem to value the breaks. If someone goes for a break at work, hey, why are you doing that? Why are you going to break? Don't go on a break, work. And I think that's the mentality that becomes really important to think about from an individual, a manager, and a company. Yeah, absolutely. And managers aren't pushing their team members, hey, take it. You should be taking a couple of days off every month. It's like, yeah, go take a big break at the end of the year because that's when you've deserved it. That's a great reframe, by the way. Cognitive reframe. Reappraisal. Thanks, mate. I'll try my best. So the question then becomes, as always, how do we go about using it? And again, I'm just sort of going to break it into individuals, managers, and companies. Sam, on an individual perspective, and again, I love your thoughts on this, is I think first and foremost with from a leave perspective is to make sure that people schedule in their leave every six to eight weeks. It's something to look forward to. It's in the calendar. It's there and then. And I think that's probably a first part. And the second part of that is to break it even further is in the weekly setting, have a day of the week when you completely switch off. For me, it's Saturday morning. That's my sacred time where I'm normally by myself. I'm reading my book. I'm in nature. I go for a walk. But I think those two parts for an individual hopefully can help. Mm, I mean, it makes like a ton of sense. I think that just that one principle of scheduling it in to make it happen is super powerful. Yeah. And then on the final part, I was on the day-to-day basis, which is we talked about ultradian rhythm last week when it came to productivity and just being mindful that we work in 90 to 120 minute cycles. Leverage this, take that break. And in that break, if you do work for 90 minutes, that break, walk, go talk to someone, do something active. Don't just stare at your phone. Otherwise that's what's going to contribute to burnout. And so if you put those breaks in, that can probably help from an individual level. Is there anything else you can think of, mate, that could help? those two are the the biggest ones. I would also say schedule a break in the middle of your day where you don't work. Give your brain some either non-sleep deep rest or some recovery, go for a walk, et cetera, because you're actually providing the same thing. But those are great protocols. I love it. And then the last two parts, and just in terms of if you are a manager or leader, you're leading people. I think it's really important incumbent, find out what the things that your employees want to do outside of their work and encourage them to schedule that time so they look forward to. So for an example, I remember when I had a boss back in the day, I really wanted to hike in the Grampians and he was really great in encouraging that and we locked in my leave and I had something to look forward to and it was pushed down by the manager in more of a nice way and a coaching way, which was really, really interesting and and personally I enjoyed. But then that probably puts the onus then on the company and you know recently it's a lot in trend in vogue, four-day work weeks, 
unlimited leave, all this sort of stuff. As a company, I think you just want to think about how you go about doing that. The only note I want to make is unlimited leave sounds great, but all the research shows that people with unlimited leave take less leave than when they're actually given to it, which I think you might have seen before, Sam. Yeah, I, I have. And I was about to call you out on that one because I was like, have you seen this research? Crazy. You give people the option of more leave and they take less. 100%. And I think that well, the whole principle here anyway from a workplace perspective is to build resilience. It's really hard to be resilient when you're burnt out. So let's actually prevent that by taking those macro and micro breaks. And that is brain tool number four, break burnout. Oh, so good. So scheduling in breaks so you don't burn out as a re- resilience prevention mechanism. So being a lot more proactive about it. Really like that. Love it. Mate, four good brain tools we like to think. Shall we summarize? Yes. Let's go back to the top. Brain tool uh, number one is write down when you what you can control when you're feeling unregulated, stressed out by a situation. One of the best things you can do for your resilience is to write down what you can still control as this will help counteract that stress response and put you back in the driver's seat. Love it. That leads really nicely to brain tool number two, which is spin your social web. Social connectivity is so, so important at work because it creates a foundation and a safety net for you to actually be more resilient. So spin that social web, create the connections with people from a company, from a manager perspective, really encourage that social connectivity. And what you'll find is people will be more resilient because they've got people to lean on and they don't have to deal with their problems by themselves in isolation. That's brain tool number two, spin your social web. And brain tool number three, which is practice and master cognitive reframing. Uh, When you're having stressful periods, reframe the situation by asking yourself, what can I learn from this? Because doing so will place your focus and your perception on the benefits of this situation and help mitigate that stress response and teach you to be resilient in the long run. So that's brain tool number three, practice asking yourself, what can I learn from this? Absolutely love it. And that balance beautifully into final brain tool, which is brain tool number four, break burnout. In order to actually be able to cognitively reframe and take control of things, we need to make sure that we're not burnt out because it's impossible to do that if we are struggling. So what do you do? Schedule those breaks in. From a six to eight week basis, schedule your leave in and actually take it. From a day-to-day perspective, have one day a week, which is all about you, no work. And finally, on a day-to-day basis, make sure you're taking those breaks in that 60, 90, 120-minute window to make sure that you can get all the way through. Because as Benjamin Franklin says quite nicely, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. That's brain tool number four, break burnout. That's uh, that's four hot brain tools for uh, anyone (laughs) at work. And if you really like those, you know what a, another great brain tool is? Sharing those with your coworkers. Um, that'd also make you more resilient. I don't know how, but it's part of the social web thing somehow. <laughs> That's the best thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> so good. That's a plug right there. Shall, uh, shall we get into uh, what's your 80-20 for this week for resilience in the brain? My 80-20, uh, mate, is structure your life so resilience is an easier path. Build those connections with people, build the structures and pillars, and you'll find that resilience is much easier than it was otherwise. What about yourself, mate? Oh. That's amazing. What a good frame. Mine is resilience is a matter of perception. Learn to change your perception. Learn to focus on the things you can control and you build resilience into your mindset and the way you go about your day, which we know then alters your brain and how you respond. Mate, that is so, so good. And that is, wow, episode two of the Brains at Work series in that holstered and that was resilience. Productivity, resilience, we're on our way. We're on our way. We've got more coming down the pipe as well. So stay tuned for what we do next when it comes to brains at work.
Sounds good. Well, that's bye for now. Bye from me.